0: Let's keep in touch. Let's keep in touch. Keep in touch with me. Drop me a line any old time. Love it. Love it. Nice. Very cool. Great. Yep. Well, Melanie, would you like to introduce our guests today? Yes,
1: it's very exciting to have two such accomplished individuals here today. Joe Tomlinson and Fiona Ash are the founders of Target English, an organization that focuses on creating English language testing and course materials to fit specific organizational needs. They're also the authors of a number of IELTS preparation and academic skills development books, including Listening for IELTS, Grammar for IELTS, and Lectures, Learning, Listening, and Note-Taking Skills. Both Joe and Fee bring years of experience teaching English and English for academic purposes, as well as test and materials writing, assessment and program administration to their current roles. Uh, Joe and Fee did I leave any of your amazing accomplishments out?
2: I don't think so. I feel exhausted. Yes. (laughs) Is it not time for retirement? (laughs) 2021.
1: That's right. What's interesting to me about Joe and Fee, if I could take it back to myself for just a minute, is that we actually know each other. We became acquaintance, acquainted through a mutual friend. And in fact, we've worked at many of the same places, but only Joe and I have worked together at the same time for like four weeks. It was like the shortest time. But that is, for those of you who work in the English language industry, that's, that's the nature of the circuit. As I've I've heard it called before, it's, it's in fact quite a small world for the possibilities to travel around the
3: world. So, Jo and P, how are you guys doing? Yeah, well, good, thank you. Yes, yeah, so not so bad. It's funny. starting to get cold here, so uh, I'm not going out so much. <laughs> Glued to the computer.
1: Cool. <laughs> but cold is kind of a relative term in Spain. I mean, I was <laughs> I'm in I'm in Los Angeles, and I was just outside feeling a little bit cold, but it's about 68 degrees or maybe like 18 degrees. So I realized I was kind of a big baby. I don't know. What is <laughs> what, what, what's cold like in, in, in Spain?
2: Depends which part you're in. I'm in the North. So it's very much like being in the UK. Um, it's winter, it's cold, it's raining. But yeah, down South with Joe, it's uh, a little bit different. It's uh, very much a country of uh, many weathers.
1: Uh, I see I uh, personally I learned when I lived in Abu Dhabi that I actually just really like being warm all the time here in Los Angeles it's sunny almost every day and I do get crabby on the days that it's actually cloudy I'm just like wow (laughs) but that has very little to do with what we're talking about today I want to know a little bit about how you got started in this industry and a little bit about your background if you guys could tell us do you want
2: to go first
3: Okay yes, Uh, so Fiona and I used to work together many years ago at a, a language school in the UK and we both started taking, we started in EFL but we started taking different routes so Fiona started down the academic English route and I got into academic English and then slightly into testing and we just had always talked about what we thought should be done or could be done and if we could do it better, so we decided once bravely to to try and and make it better I suppose and and use our skills together in order to do that and that was about 12 years ago I think or 11 years ago and we've been mm. been doing it ever since I think I think that's a, a short summary
2: <laughs> I think it was also round about the time when people in the industry were looking to kind of move away from one size fits all kind of materials. And we've been working with those kinds of scenarios and different courses where there wasn't much variety. And so I think there was a lot in the, in, the, in the air, potentially at that time about trying to think about doing something a little bit more specific and focused.
1: You know, I think a lot of teachers and administrators who work in English language and academic skills preparation dream of launching their own company but you two have actually done it. And not only that, you've been, you know, fairly successful at it. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you and, you know, how that journey has been?
3: I think we were were inspired ourselves to do it, actually. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't been the journey. I don't think that we thought it would be.
2: Not at all.
3: I I think at first, I mean, we had plenty of enthusiasm and motivation, but I don't think we quite realized how hard it was to do things that perhaps we weren't so used to doing. So the marketing, the sales, things like that, which really have um, at points been stumbling blocks for us. And I think we had to be more flexible than we thought we we would do. And and we have done that. And I think that's one thing that kind of has kept us going for so long is the ability to keep that flexibility.
2: Yeah. And I think working in an industry where also you know one can be subject to legislative or government changes and stuff that then have an impact on whether or not you can or cannot do certain things that you might have been interested in in doing that sort of happened to us a couple of times where the British government changed its rules on on students or schools or these kinds of things and so, we had to think about ways to sort of circumnavigate that. So I think, as Joe says, in those scenarios, you constantly need to be thinking about flexibility.
1: Did that play a role? Because you both started out in the UK, but now you both live in Spain. Did that play a role in your decision to move uh, outside of the UK?
3: Not for me, personally. And I don't really think for the business. I I think... Mm in the back of our heads individually we'd always kind of i i'd always wanted to go and live somewhere hot basically
1: i hear you (laughs) i hear you
3: and fiona wanted to live abroad i think and so it just happened independently and kind of organically but with the whole brexit scenario i think it's turned out better for us actually being here because i mean i think our business is is a really outward looking business and I think therefore being in something where it is kind of more integrationist or international is a, is a more positive step for us.
1: You know, when I was um, doing a little bit of background research before this interview, I, I knew of course that you had authored several books, but I didn't realize how many you guys have read. How many, have you, how many books have you published now? Um
3: no idea. <laughs> is, it,
2: is it about nine?
3: I think <laughs> in, in between eight and Not eleven. Sure. That's <laughs> terrible. Um we've just finished one now though, so that hopefully will be um coming out next year, I think. Oh um, well, add add one to the list. <laughs> 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 it's an IELTS activity book that will be coming out next year, so. How did you get into book writing? Because I think, again,
1: I I think a lot of people who listen to this will be really interested in the fact that you have your own business and that you have written a lot of books. Because again, these are things that I think many teachers uh, and administrators have an interest in. So I'd love to know a little bit about how you got into book publishing. Well, not publishing, but writing.
3: Well, What happened is that we had, it was, I think, our first year in business, and we had a website with quite a specific vision of what we wanted to do with IELTS at the time, which was really trained towards the certain skills, um, which at that time wasn't really being done, I don't think. Um, So because we had specific courses targeting those skills, and the publisher we worked with, Collins, um, they had a vision of having books targeting those skills, they actually found us and approached us to write one of those skills book, And that's how we got involved there. What,
1: what kind of advice would you give to would-be entrepreneurs or, or materials writers?
3: Oh, well, um, my advice uh, for materials writing is to really think of yourself in the classroom doing it and think about how it would work. And also to appreciate that it's really not the same job and it's a really different job to teaching. So whereas I think most teachers are really used to having the company, having some kind of interaction, when you're writing, you're totally away from that and it's quite solitary at times. So I would say, you know, that it's just different skill sets. Um, And in terms of entrepreneurialism, for anyone who wanted to get into that, I would say don't spread your offering too widely uh, make sure you target exactly what you're going to do and make sure that's the the focus of of, of your work and I would also say make sure you do the numbers really well <laughs> um, So it's surprising how important that is um, I don't I think I don't know if these advice would be the same
2: we, we shall find out <laughs> I would say for the for the writing of materials that I kind of um grow a, a thick skin <laughs> in terms of feedback because if you're working with people your ideas whilst they may be perfect for you if you're trying to you know, disseminate them to a wider audience or get published or get you know sell your materials then you need to be aware that obviously uh, what you're kind of wedded to uh, stuff might not always be everybody else's uh, cup of tea in the classroom. Um, it's, you know, not pleasant. It tears apart activities or exercises or thing materials that you've wished, but, you know, it's in, the, it's in the best interests of the work rather than you <laughs> as a person. So that yeah. would be um, um, my advice for that. So
0: I, I wanted to just break in. So for, for any listeners who might not be familiar with your particular area of expertise, can you very quickly explain what IELTS is? And then I'm interested in, you touched upon it earlier, what What exactly were some of the pain points or gaps that you were seeing in the IELTS materials that really prompted you guys to develop your company?
2: So IELTS is the International English Language Testing System, which is uh, run by uh, Cambridge and an organization in Australia and the British Council. And it's the test that um, international students can take in order to get access to higher education in the English-speaking nations. and in terms of the gap that we were looking at in, I used to do a lot of teacher observations when I was managing, and there was quite a big difference between inexperienced teachers and experienced teachers who understood the exam. And really what we wanted to do with a lot of our materials was break this down for both teachers and students, and to really explain kind of the, how the exam works, why it's like it is.
3: So yeah, I think, um, I mean, we certainly noticed with a lot of the the course books at the time, that there was a a certain, I don't want to say one size fits all approach, but the, the course book covered everything, and it was generally followed. And we found a lot of students had different kind of Skills they some were better at, for example, speaking, and some were poorer at perhaps even listening or reading. So we took an approach that very much focused on that. And also we really looked at strategy. So I did my master's at language testing. So that kind of helped us feed down and try and uncrack some of the things from the exam. And I I use uncrack, but you know, it's not. You have to be good at English to do well at the exam. So, you know, only uncrack as much as you can.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But you know what I've learned, again, as kind of an outsider working with with Melanie is is how many strategies there really are for um, not just general exam taking, but for this specific exam to be successful. It is a complicated Mm. exam for sure.
3: Yeah. And I don't know if you'd agree, Mel, but I mean, certainly I think a lot of... uh, a general approach to IELTS doesn't, isn't always helpful.
1: I agree. I definitely agree. Because Mm. as you said, students, just like everybody, you have different points that you're strong at and you feel more confident in, and then other points that are just harder for you, or you find uh, more challenging. So that's an issue. Plus obviously as you said, you need to be good in English to do well at the exam, but even Mm. somebody who's a native speaker could get a a lower score on that exam than they would expect. Yeah. Um, yeah, And I have personally found, as I'm sure you have found that, you know, because IELTS like the TOEFL exam, which is test of English as a foreign language, these exams are used a lot for uh, university entrance, as we know, and also immigration purposes. So they're considered very high stakes exams. The people who are taking them frequently have really important goals tied to them. So what happens is you have students who's Uh, Language level is actually kind of low and they may be quite determined to take this exam and do well, but because their language level is low, they just cannot hit the mark that they need to hit. So it's, it's, I I don't know, I I, I have found that, that you, you run into kind of this issue with lower level students who could be quite motivated. But they mm-hmm. just haven't quite developed the skills yet, and then yeah. higher level students who think they don't need to do anything, and actually they do.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we we often point out how the the skills they're doing in the in in the reading paper, for example, how similar they are to skills they'll be using at university. So mm-hmm. looking for a lot of information and scanning for a certain part of that information, and not having time to engage quite slowly with the text is something that you might do you know when you're researching for an essay or 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 researching for your dissertation etc and that it's quite an academic skill and so like you said you know you can have quite a good um level of English but if you if you're not kind of accustomed to using those kinds of skills then equally you're not going to do well. And I think it's interesting
2: because at some level It's different to a lot of other tests that test knowledge that you've or skills that you've accumulated. This is kind of preparing you for something that you actually haven't done yet. And many students may not have even done this in any other languages that they're more familiar with. And so they don't really have any parallels or experience to draw across it. So they sort of see it as this magic key. And you're kind of saying, well, it's more the whole toolkit kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have any tools, and I don't have a magic key. And so that kind of disconnect in trying to um, communicate what the exam is for um, can be quite problematic, I think, sometimes.
1: Plus, I think, you know, it's funny you brought up this idea of the magic key, because I have found, as I'm sure you have, that, you know, students will sort of fixate on a number that they want for Mm. IELTS or for TOEFL. And what I like to point out to them is that that's actually the minimum, okay? So think about about what minimum means in terms of school. Minimum proficiency is not a good grade, that's the minimum. Now I'm not saying don't aim for that, but what I I, I am saying is you're probably gonna have to do more work, potentially quite a bit more work to achieve those goals. Obviously that's if you're going Mm -hmm. to university, if you're trying to get into another country, that's a, that's a whole different, <laughs> but once you get it, it's the minimum, right? So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you might be able to order at a restaurant, but can you have a long <laughs> conversation there with the waiter? Maybe not. I don't yeah.
2: know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Quite>. <laughs> Amy, you, you had asked about pain points and I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. What have been some of the pain points in your time running your business?
2: Some some clients have been problematic in terms of expectation. So you know, as with all things in life, managing expectation is is a, a challenge. But there have been clearly times where somebody hasn't I would say paid us enough for the amount of work that's been involved in a project, or how they estimate that kind of thing. And so those can be difficult trying to negotiate those kinds of things. You know, when you're you don't really have any experience it's not like either of us have spent time in the city or something being you know cutthroat kind of people and so you come at this with a you you know you you're not quite sure how to position yourself a lot of the time it's it can be like you feel like you've got to accept things rather than push back Mm. Um, I don't know if you'd agree Joe. but
3: yeah yeah I do and I I sometimes think time is underestimated so I think often so, well, often, for example, test or materials development actually takes quite a lot of time. Mm. And I think, you know, if people are buying from us something that is bespoke for them, so we have to put the time in to make that. It's not like they're buying something off the shelf. So I think, you know, if you, there's a big difference between something bespoke and something off the shelf. And I think in terms of the price point, and I think sometimes, you know, we often find ourselves reinforcing that, that, you know, we're actually designing something that's specifically for them and this is the amount of time it takes us so
0: yeah you know as as we've been talking to you and to a few other entrepreneurs in the ESL industry and even in Melanie and I in our work together it is a challenge when you're starting your own company because you may be the content expert but like you said you all of a sudden have to deal with sales and marketing and I mean consulting what you're doing is you're really consulting to these specific mm. clients and that has a different skill set than what you necessarily came into the business with so it, it's a lot absolutely. to deal with but yeah. I will say don't be afraid to ask for more ask for what you're worth that's I tell <laughs> family that all the time it's hard because English language teachers are used to being kind of undervalued absolutely
2: yeah, yeah. no it's very our, true. in the UK our accountant once told us that <laughs> when we met <laughs> him one year he said Ask for more money. Always ask for more money. I love that. Yeah, actually,
1: um, you know, that that issue, the issue of money and the undervaluing, I think, of of what English language teachers do has come up so many times because I think it's a really big issue. There is, in fact, quite a bit of money to be made, as we know, in the English Mm -hmm. language industry. And when you go to the right conference, I remember I went to a conference in Berlin a few years ago and you know I had previously only been to academic conferences and I walked into this conference and you know the the displays were just amazing. Everybody was dressed yeah. in fabulous business suits and I thought, oh, this is where all of the money is. It's a very interesting issue. But I want to now kind of turn our attention to this past year because, you know, boy, I've heard, I, I don't know how you're feeling in it. And I said this on a few uh, podcasts, I mean, certainly here and definitely in Spain and all over, it, this has been such a difficult year. And it, you know, just in terms of a personal perspective, the amount of loss that people have endured and, and the struggles people have endured and, When I turn it to kind of the English language teaching lens, wow, this has been an incredibly difficult year for many people because our whole industry has been really impacted. But I actually think there are, in fact, a lot of positives that can come from this. My, my feeling about the English language teaching, I don't know if you will agree with this. I feel like we're always a little bit behind, like five, 10 years behind. I mean, I, I, I started teaching in 2002 and we were still using tape recorders, which like, that just makes me laugh to this day. And I feel like it's just indicative of the entire industry. So I kind of hope that this is a transformative experience that will actually push us forward in a really positive way. But I'm wondering about your experiences this year. How, how has COVID-19
3: impacted your roles and your business? Um, I think it has impacted our business quite a lot, actually, because a lot of our work is developing tests for universities. And that's fine if you can get students into a test room. <laughs> and then there's a lot of, oh, what are we going to do? And we have to then put in place or try and put in place plan B's, plan C's, plan D's, depending on the changing environment that we're working in. And that's been quite a challenge, I would say. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of those decisions, I mean, we can help with those decisions. And we're lucky enough to be flexible. But those decisions have been made by management essentially in the end, at the end of the day. So whatever they've decided, we've sometimes, you know, we've been able to help sometimes they've just shut it down completely so we've really experienced that and i would say that's been for us a a time to think on our feet but also quite a difficult time you know because all of the plans i mean testing when we're developing tests it's a long process and we have plans in place for six months test development sessions and they just all go so that's
2: pretty difficult and then also just the kind of the, the the redoing of things. So, as an example, back during COVID, kind of at the beginning of the year, or maybe April time, um, we, would do, we were do. We would supposed to be doing a recording session. So, obviously, normally we would go to the studio um, with the actors, but of course that can't happen. Um, and then there's a, a lot of you know the the studio is very good. They are accustomed to recording with people you know in their own house, but then. We had all the actors in, you know, those like like people talk about with podcasts, where they're under a duvet, kind of attached to some kind of the clothesline, in order to kind of get decent sound quality. They're all out buying different types of microphones because they're not used to doing this kind of thing. Being actors, they're not the greatest um, technological wizards <laughs> stuff in the world. So that was kind of an interesting learning curve for everybody. But I remember on that day, it was I had the most awful headache by the end of it uh, because it was just so intense and working in a way where you've still promised somebody something and you can't do it but we were very much in the in the hands of the studio guys uh, but I would
3: say that was a good thing
2: it was it was great yeah
3: that that audit that recording session was the first one I've joined in about a year and a half since I've been in a different country so for me I was like oh I'm I'm back in the room again and it was lovely <laughs> and I think I think that's what I missed and also a positive I think is the conferences that perhaps I wouldn't have gone to if I'd had to travel for them mm-hmm. but because they were online you know I think it makes being in a kind of an outpost in in Spain where it takes me literally four hours to get to Madrid or Barcelona <laughs> you know it it means that I get more of an experience that perhaps people in big cities get so yeah you know I think that's the positive that's interesting what conferences have you gone to I have gone
1: to a few but I you know I know people have gone to more but I haven't I don't know why I've, I've just been busy but I'm curious what what have you been able to go to that
3: you might not otherwise have been able to attend well, last week there was a language testing conference that was a half day conference and it's normally held in the UK. So mm. I wouldn't be able to justify a half day for, you know, tra- traveling from, <laughs> especially not in COVID times, but before yeah. even I couldn't really justify going, you know, to, to another country for a half day conference, um, especially if we're not speaking. So I could just go to that conference and sit there in my office and, 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 and and see what people were saying and i thought that was really nice actually and at the end they had quite a moving uh session of someone had taken photos of their of their local area and then everybody told each other to take care and be safe and i was almost in tears
1: (laughs) Who, who would have seen that coming at
2: a half-day language testing conference, yeah, I bet
0: sorry. nobody's. That's kind but of I, amazing. Yeah, but it did, you know it kind of leads into something we've talked with some other folks about is the the isolation that you as teachers and and English uh, ESL professionals are are experiencing by nature. Your social, uh, you know, teachers are social, and it can be really hard to connect sometimes with your with your peers and colleagues. So that's great. I'm glad that that happened.
3: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I think yeah, I think it can be isolating but I think it's just universal at the moment I think everyone's feeling isolated in in some way and I think you just have mm. to I'm socializing so much more online than I was before I know Oh yeah. <laughs> my
2: digital commitments
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I had to print out a calendar the other day to I've got mine written down now <laughs> oh, that's awesome wow wow that, that's it's getting more confusing
1: that's more sociable than me, but I might have to follow your uh, lead on that one. So, so where, besides going to many online social social events, where are you guys now? Would you say where? How do you kind of view your role now, the industry now? How, how has your business now? How has it changed? How has it changed
3: this year? I think we're having to address. Oh, sorry, Faye. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> Um, I think our clients have addressed the changing situation. And I think because they now have a plan, it then gives us a directive of what to do. So I feel like that's slightly coming to a new new. And so where things perhaps in last year have been yeah. a real in a real flux, I think there are now new plans in place and I think 2021 will be a lot more stable
2: in my mind. What do you think? I do because I think the other thing to think about is that this happened essentially halfway through an academic year in in most Mm -hmm. forms of of education especially well in those that start in September and now so the first half of sort of the, the the Covid year was just firefighting and then people had to try and manage the summer and whether that was having a lie down or managing international students depending on what kind of education you work in and now you know people have started this academic year and by in a few months time they'll have had an experience of an entire year working this through and potentially then some things will come out as we must address this and uh, we must address this soon and we're gonna need the following things. And hopefully for us that will involve, you know, maybe teacher training, maybe materials or different ways of assessment, but that we can be ready to kind of respond because we are having conversations and thinking, you know, well, how might the the landscape look, you know, in a, in a few months time and especially for the beginning of the next academic year, September 2021.
1: I really think you're right. I think even though like, I mean, we all had that experience in March of 2020 where we had to very quickly or possibly a little bit sooner, but we had to very quickly transition to online teaching or many people did. And some institutions did that better than others. You know, I mean, I, I think about the, the place where I'm working, they, I feel like they sort of knew that it might happen. They weren't sure, but they, they, they had sort of a, a lot of preparation and it went okay, it wasn't perfect. But on the other hand, my husband, who's also teaching, he thought he was going to work until Monday at 9am. And then they closed. And then two days later, he was expected to teach online. I mean, I think a lot of people had experiences like that. Hmm. And then even, even this autumn, it's still been a lot of firefighting, because of course, we've been Mm -hmm. trying to get schools open and, and then some schools have opened and then they've had to close and Mm -hmm. is it safer to keep them open or closed? And that's all been very problematic. But, but I agree with you, you know, because we are getting the vaccine and I I do think things will be more controlled next year. I think we'll still be dealing with the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. I think by the time we get to the end of this school year, people will be saying okay what worked what didn't what do we want to keep what don't we want to keep i, I am of the belief that we will keep online teaching it's, it's you know prior to this year online teaching obviously happened but it was seen as i think more niche and i believe that in the future that this just this is just what we will do it doesn't mean that there won't be face-to-face school of course Mm -hmm. there will be that's very important but I kind of see I hate the word hybrid I prefer the word combination like there will be some sort of combination that you know part of what you do will be face-to-face and some of it will be online Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be
2: great I don't know that's just but I'm an optimist so (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think it gives me an opportunity though because you I kind of feel like, you know, one of the things I find you know, fascinating is reading all of these positive stories about people saying, you know, what happened across all sectors of education all over the world, that teachers, managers, student support officers, you name it, everybody just got their act together and just almost overnight provided education. It might not have been, you know, perfect and stuff, but just like that. And yet this is a profession that historically was kind of known for having people who are, you know, tech fear or have, you know, afraid of technology a lot of the time and stuff. And yes, they just got on and did it and stuff. And so you just think, well, in that case, all sorts of opportunities now should present themselves as perfectly plausible as possible, rather than things that might worry people after this experience. I Hopefully. love that. <laughs> I
1: love that. And I think, you know, we've talked to people, some who, who've were very resistant to technology who ended up saying, oh, hey, it's not so bad. I mean, I think some people will prefer face-to-face. Some people will prefer online. I'm good with both, as always. I'm (laughs) versatile like that. Flexible, yeah. Very flexible. So, Mm. um, any other thoughts? Any other um, thoughts about the future? How do you think the English language teaching industry might change?
3: Well, I actually, do have a thought that it comes from a testing perspective and I think testing will change quite a bit because mm. there are a lot of issues over test security happening right yeah. now as you can imagine because you yeah. know students doing tests in, in in their in their own homes obviously has has implications um so I would say watch this space for testing I think there not in all situations but I think some fresh approaches are going to be taken in that direction and I think that it's a, it's a it's an opportunity I think to to think outside the box with how students are tested in some situations in some situations so I would say that is possibly an area which will be quite interesting and one to watch this year next year <laughs> 2021 <laughs> tell me what year we're
0: in <laughs> <laughs> well, we, this, this episode will drop in 2021.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to drop till next year. So it's going to be an exciting kickoff. Hey, actually, it occurred to me that this is always a question with testing. What are your what are some of your quick suggestions for people who are trying to give tests online and, and really find it difficult? Because I know that some teachers have really struggled with that and some schools have really struggled with having to administer tests online any any quick tips for those who are trying to do that
3: obviously well, my <laughs> first, uh, advi- first piece of advice would be use target english <laughs>
2: <laughs> we can and help your, your testing needs
3: <laughs> otherwise i mean i think it needs to have an institutional approach you know if you're doing if you're doing informal assessment with students as you're doing the class absolutely fine but if you're meant to be designing test items that's a whole new ball game and you need some help with that and that is either someone taking control of that within your institution or getting outside outside help but that shouldn't be something that's just done kind of on the fly you know you can't you can't be making those questions up yourself because it's 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 not your job to do it, actually, and it puts so much work on you,
2: so Mm. Mm. it should have an institutional approach, is my answer to that. And I would say that this kind of might be something that has to happen across the industry with everyone having to up their game, essentially, because if you think about what's likely to happen in higher education, so with academic English, and that kind of thing, where students are now kind of wanting better value for money and universities are in this kind of strange scenario where they have to improve their technological offer, otherwise students will be shopping around in different places, but at the same time, If you've got international students who are paying £10,000 or $10,000 a year to not be in the country, Mm. then things like this are going to change. But where's the university going to get the money from? They're going to be probably or might be stuck in or a lot of organisations might be stuck in this scenario where the students or the learners or whoever will be demanding A different payment structure or something for online and yet this is a very expensive thing for a lot of organizations or institutions to have to try and figure out how to deliver so there may be some kind of shift in how people think about funding or doing as joe's saying doing something properly and what this involves and it involves you know time and money and potentially outside help um very
1: good, interesting points. Mm. Any any final thoughts that you'd you'd like to leave us with? Um, I
3: think i would like fine. to echo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, me. <mate. laughs> I
1: agree. I'm with, I'm with me. It's going to be fine. We're we're getting there slowly but surely. It's
3: going to be. I fine. think
2: I think Joe has something more profound <laughs> to
3: say. Well, I just wanted to echo what you said earlier Fee, and that was about the fact that everybody ran with the pool so well I feel very proud of the industry we worked in because Mm. I think the teachers have been incredible through all of this and the managers and you know Mm -hmm. I think people have adapted so well to online teaching I mean I know people here who are as I'm sure everyone does who are who are in schools with kids where they've got five kids in the class can't move out of a box because yeah. there's a video where there's another five kids watching them, and mm. that whole scenario, and they're just doing it, they're running with it, and you know I think it's amazing. Mm. So a pat on the back for everyone who's done that, and,
2: uh, and next year,
1: next year yeah, off. You're
2: awesome. <laughs> oh yes, and, and sabbatical for all. <laughs> <laughs> twenty twenty one, fully paid, fully
1: paid all expenses. That you can go to travel to whichever country strikes your fancy, which, if you are in the English language teaching field and listening to this, list, I'm sure you've got a big list.
2: So, <laughs> Chances are. Chances are.
0: <laughs> hey, so where can people find you if they want to reach out to Target English? Um, you can find us on
3: www.target-english.eu, or you can contact us at infotarget-english.eu. At Always and happy to help. On
2: Facebook and Twitter as well as Target English.
3: Great. Just look for an orange arrow and you're probably there.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's us. <laughs> orange not blue or white (laughs) or or red, the traditional language company
1: colors. (laughs) You're so right about that, actually. Um, And and we chose blue and yellow, so we went traditional. But I really thought a a lot about it for a long time. But anyway, you guys, thank you so much for taking- Pleasure.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: Uh, You're welcome. And I agree, everything's going to be
0: fine. Cool. Absolutely. (laughs) It helps to hear it. Onwards and upwards. That's fun. Thank you.
3: Thank (laughs) you, guys. Stay safe. Come on,
1: baby.
3: Let's keep in touch.
2: Come on, baby.
0: Let's keep in touch.